Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubitt. Today I want to start with a sermon titled or a teaching titled, Bought and Paid For. You are bought and paid for. Did you hear me? You are, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to the Lord, you are bought and paid for. Everybody say, I'm bought and paid for. Now, I want you to say it again, but I don't want you to say it if you're not, because if you're going to claim that you are, you need to be proud that you are, and you need to act like you are. So I am bought and paid for. Amen. And if you're not, there's going to be an opportunity at the end of this thing where you can be. So I'm asking that you pay attention. And as the Holy Spirit begins to move in your life, which I've been praying for since we started formulating this series, that you respond in a like fashion. But I want to talk to you today about the fact that you've been bought and paid for. You've been bought and paid for. I've heard this expression my whole life. Well, that's mine. I bought and paid for it. That belongs to me. Or you hear it negatively. That politician's bought and paid for, which means the establishment owns him. He doesn't belong to himself. Either way, whatever the object of that is doesn't belong to itself. It belongs to someone else. This thing belongs to me. The politician belongs to the establishment. It's been bought and paid for, so it doesn't have any rights of its own. Everybody feel where I'm coming from? And I can prove this to you in Scripture as a Christian believer. You don't have rights except for the rights given in this book if you're going to call yourself a Christian. People are, I've been set free. No, you've been made a slave, but a different kind of slave. Oh, what? Let me prove that to you. 1 Corinthians 7, 21 through 24 says, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. That's a rhetorical question. Because we were all called while we were slaves to sin. God called us out of the slave market of sin. Do not worry about it. But if you were able to also to become free, rather do that. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the ability to do that. Amen? For he who is who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. I want you to pay attention to that word. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's, what? Slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men, brethren. Each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he is called. You were called as slaves to Christ. I told you I was going to come back to freed man. So here's the truth. You were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, out of the slave market of sin. You were a slave to sin, given wholly over to your sin, destined and damned to an eternal hell, separated from a loving, beautiful God. Everybody with me so far? Good. That's who you were. If you've given your life to the Lord, if you've accepted the fact that you've been bought and paid for, 
You're still a slave, but you're a slave to Christ, a freed man. Freed man doesn't mean a man that's been set free. If you'll look the word up in the evangelical dictionary, freed man literally means someone that has been emancipated, which means freed from slavery, but still doesn't have his civil rights. Now think about that. Because now you're a freed man. You are free, but you only have the rights that God gave you. You only have the rights according to the Word of God. You have to be obedient to the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Obedience, as we talked about in baptism, is essential to the Christian life. I can't overstate the importance of obedience. If you're going to belong to Him, you have to be obedient. Because you were a slave to sin, now you're a slave to Christ, emancipated from the slave market of sin, but still free of your own, still minus your civil rights. You're not free to make your own decisions anymore. Or you shouldn't be. You should be bound by the promise and the proclamation that you made to Christ Jesus. Everybody okay? Do you understand where I'm coming from? A couple of y'all looking at me like a cow staring at a new fence. I just think it's important because the church doesn't talk about this enough. We live in a society where the church says, do what makes you feel good or according to your truth. There ain't no your truth, there's the truth. The truth isn't subjective to what you think about it. It's subjective according to the Word of God. Why? Because we don't belong to us. We belong to Christ Jesus through the price that He paid. Because we have been bought and paid for. And I want to talk to you about that today. First, I want to talk about the price that was paid. Jesus bought and paid the price with his own blood. Jesus didn't give gold for you. He didn't give silver for you. He gave the most precious, listen to me, please listen to me. He gave the most precious commodity in the entire universe. For you. The most valuable thing in the universe was given so that you might belong to Christ Jesus. Could you imagine having so, such worth? That the God of the entire universe spent the most valuable thing he had to call you his? That's amazing. You think God doesn't know you? You think God doesn't see you? You think God doesn't care about you? He gave His own Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And He didn't just give Him like, hey, you go over there. He gave Him up unto death so that you might have life. So that we might have life. I don't want to exclude myself because Lord knows without Jesus, I'd be going to hell too. But Jesus paid the price with His own blood so that we might be reconciled to God. He had to because we're at enmity with God before we get saved. Which is kind of just a weird word to say 
you and God didn't get along. You guys were in conflict. We were at war with God. And so we needed reconciliation. If two people can't get along, there has to be a reconciliation or some action taken to reconcile that relationship, to bring that relationship divided back into wholeness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed that caused that reconciliation to happen. I could prove this. Hebrews 9.22 says, According to the law, one may say all things are cleansed by blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, you can't be forgiven, so you're always going to be at enmity with God. You're not going to be a friend of God until you're forgiven by God. And you can't be forgiven by God until the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to you. I'm out running my own breath. Why? Because I'm excited about this. I, I, this is, I've been super excited about this sermon. You know why? Because it's so important. This is the crux of everything that the church teaches. Without this, without the blood of Jesus, we have nothing. We have no hope, no expectation of a future, no blessing, physical, spiritual, or eternal. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ and the atonement made on our behalf, the reconciliation made, that we have forgiveness of sin according to the Word of God. Colossians 1.20 says, And through Him, Christ Jesus that is, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. What did he do at his cross? He made peace. He reconciled so that we might have forgiveness. What happened at the cross? He shed his blood for you. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The only question is, why? Why did Jesus do it? He didn't have to. He didn't have to. Why did he do it? It's simple. To glorify himself because he loves you. Listen to me, heavy-hearted, downtrodden. Those people that think no one sees you, loves you, cares about you, or thinks about you. The creator of the entire universe does all of those things. Loves you, cares about you, and shed his blood for, for that reason. Because he loves you, Dallas. Because he loves you, Pastor Rick. Because he loves you, Dart Horner. Because he loves you. I go all the way around this room. Tim, because he loves you. Scott, because he loves you. My wife told me we, were, we weren't together very long. And she said, I find my strength, my confidence, and the fact that even if I was the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for any, me anyway. That's how much love he has for you. And I want you guys to walk away with that kind of confidence. Knowing that God gave the most precious thing he had because he loved you.
because he loves you. I don't want to put that in the past tense because him being eternal and never changing, if he ever loved you, he loves you right now. Oh, man, I've done too much. God can't love me like he used to. The only thing God can do is love you like he used to because he can't change. That makes me feel good. Because I've done some dumb stuff in my day after I gave my life to the Lord. The Holy Spirit came and said, hey, you know, that ain't right. And I know he loves me like he loved me. And I know that he will love me like he loves me. But why did he have to shed his blood? Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your soul. For it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. It's the blood that makes atonement. Why does the blood make atonement? How many of you guys know that God is sovereign? And by, by that I mean God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, for as long or as short a time as he wants to do it. How many of y'all believe that? Right on. Me too. So, it says here, it's the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Why blood? Because if he's sovereign to do whatever he wants to, he could have just as easily said, you're going to have to write with this pen. To have your sins forgiven. And your sins would be forgiven if that's what he said, right? But that's not what he said. He said, if you eat this fruit, surely you will die. And when they ate the fruit, something had to die. Because God is not a liar. Or the son of man that he should change his mind. So he killed an animal, shed its blood cast its skin over them to cover their sin and because he said so is enough reason for me amen so if the wages of sin are death and they are and life is found in the blood and it is in order for the wage of sin to be paid blood is required does it have to make sense to you I hope it does but it doesn't have to to still be true. I want to read something to you. Hebrews chapter 10. Why did it have to be Jesus' blood? For the law, verse 1, for the law, since I, it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they continue with which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near can I ask you to pay attention to five words in this this paragraph this verse I'm going to whittle down all the big words for you into five law can never make perfect did you hear that the law can never make perfect. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can make you perfect because the sacrificial laws couldn't cover sin. Or they could only cover sin. They couldn't remove sin. They only pushed your guilt forward. It didn't remove your guilt. 
Jesus Christ came to purge the consciousness so that you no longer have guilt. And then according to verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. This is what the Word of God tells us. And so because the blood and bulls of the, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin, I want to talk to you real quick about the Levitical law to show how they tried and how God, through Christ Jesus, foreshadowed, or those were the foreshadow of Christ Jesus and the blood that he shed. If you'll turn to Leviticus chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 to you. Verses 1 and 2 is just telling God telling Moses, tell them this stuff. Verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it. A male without defect, he shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be acceptable for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons and the priest shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around on the altar, that is the doorway of the tent of meeting. Man, they're shedding blood all over the place. You know why? Because life's in the blood. There's no remission of sin without the blood. But there's two things that I want you to pay attention to. It's actually one thing written twice in these three verses. Here it is. At the doorway of the tent of meeting is where this blood was to be placed. I told you that the Levitical law, the sacrifices in the Levitical law were intended to foreshadow the work of Christ Jesus, right? And so they did that temporarily, year by year, to make atonement for their sin, to push their sin forward so that they could continue to live. They pushed that sin forward to the next year, and then they would do it again, and then they would do it again, and then they would do it again. <clears throat> but each time they did it, when that blood was shed, this incredible thing happened. They took that blood and placed it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You know what the tent of meeting is? The wilderness tabernacle. You know, what in, you know what's inside the wilderness tabernacle? The glory of God. You want to know how the Levitical law is the shadow of Christ Jesus? Because without the blood of Jesus Christ, you have no access to the presence of the Spirit of God. But because his blood was shed, we can enter the tent of meeting. That we can enter into the throne room of grace, expecting to, expecting to receive mercy in our time of need. That's so good. God is good. But that was temporary. And that atonement never stopped. Year by year by year until. Y'all ready for this? It's good. Go blow your mind. You ready? Until Christ himself climbed upon the altar of the cross for our atonement. I didn't hear a gasp. I must not have read it right. Until Christ himself climbed upon that altar of the cross to make atonement for your sin. I didn't say he was forced on the cross. I didn't say that he was carried there from some other place. 
and forced to be there. They didn't push his head down on the cross. He laid himself on the cross. Didn't have to be there so that you might have atonement. So that you might be reconciled to him. And it's only through him that we are reconciled. That's good. But I think we take it too lightly. I've, I've, I've said in a lot of churches in my day, uh, only too seriously, this one in Cornerstone Church in Nashville, where I gave my life to the Lord. And I've heard a lot of pastors run by pretty fast, they say. And it's the truth. I'm not knocking them for telling the truth. But they say, you're saved by the atoning work of the blood of Jesus Christ yet on the cross. And then they move on. Does that give weight to what was really done on our behalf? I want to give weight to what was done on our behalf today. What was done to make atonement? for you you were bought and paid for with a very significant price Jesus Christ suffered an undignified life in death so that you might have eternal life I <clears throat> I find it, it I've, I've never heard anybody talk about it but just in my own musings I think one of the worst things done to Christ was the fact that he left heaven to come here. Could you imagine such a thing? For eons and eons and eons, for all of eternity, he's been in the perfection of heaven. No crying, no tears, no pain, no suffering, no dirt. Perfect in every single possible way. In the presence of the Almighty God made a decision to come here and go through, get this, the birthing process. I don't know if you've ever seen the birthing process, but we're talking about a holy God submitted himself to the birthing process. He hurt. He cried. He was hungry for the first time in all of eternity. He wasn't in the physical presence of God. And he walked on this filthy earth for 30-something years. He suffered greatly. The price that was paid for you is much greater than we give weight to oftentimes. Not only did he, he suffer in his life, he suffered in his death. But not just his death, the time, the moments leading up to his death. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about how our precious Savior, the King of the universe, humbled himself? When I was in Israel, I sat in a room 30-something feet underground that was supposed to have been the Praetorian Guard room where Jesus was beaten. There was a rock, a rock bench that they said Jesus would have sat there, the accused would have sat there. And it says that he was drugged there into the Praetorian Guard by a cohort of Roman soldiers. That's up to 600 men. And so up to 600 men would have beaten our Savior. 
I've been punched. I've never been punched 600 times. I've been slapped. I've never been slapped 600 times. They say he was unrecognizable. Well, of course he was. He got slapped or punched up to 600 times for you and endured it when he didn't have to. But that's not all that was done for you. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that you're bought and paid for and what cost you were bought and paid for. But that's not all that was done to him. After that, they, they took him and they chained him to a whipping post. And they beat our Savior. 39 lashes, they said. Give him 39 lashes because 40 was considered the death penalty. And for the sake of legalism, they only hit him 39 times. But that's 39 lashes from a cat of nine tails, so at 39 times nine stripes he took on his back. Each one of those straps with a sharp piece of bone or a piece of glass attached to it, ripping the flesh off of his skin or off of his back exposing the meat all the way down to the rib, every nerve. I'm not trying to be gross. I'm trying to give weight to the price that bought and paid for us. And then they took him off of that, and they placed a purple robe over him and started mocking our Savior. Because purple was the color of royalty. And I don't know how long it stayed on there, but if it stayed on there for at least a couple of minutes, which I'm sure it was longer than that, it had time to coagulate with the blood on his back when they ripped it off again. Re-exposing every one of those nerves, re-exposing every one of those wounds, causing once again the same excruciating pain that he had just endured. Why did he do it? He did it because he loves you. This is the price that was paid for us. But this wasn't it. This wasn't all. Then they picked him up. And he had to carry his own cross. It's not a cross like you would imagine. It's not a cross like you see in a lot of churches. It's polished and it's pretty. You know, we don't have a cross here. We, we designed this intentionally to be the absence of a cross. For two reasons. One, we live beyond the cross. Praise the Lord. But two, if I was ever to find a cross anywhere worthy uh, or that looked anything similar to the one that Jesus Christ would have bore his life on, it would be, it would be too putrid and disgusting for you to look at. So he picks this cross up, and it wouldn't have been his cross only. They didn't go out and be all, oh, it's Jesus. We need to make a new cross for him. They gave him the same cross I'm sure several other people had died on that had the stink of putrid death already on it. I don't know if you've ever smelled rotten blood, but it's one of the most horrific smells on earth. And our, I'm not trying to be gross. I hope you don't think I'm just being gross for the sake of being gross. I want us to feel the weight of what was done on our behalf. But he picked up that cross. 
And I walked the streets when I was in Israel, those cobblestone streets underneath the actual streets now. And they're cobbles about this big, which means there's mortar, and then the stone goes up like this and then drops off into the next mortar. And he picked that rugged cross up, that splintery, dirty, filthy, disgusting, wretched cross, and drug it across those cobblestones. Boom. 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 Each time falling into mortar. Each time that rugged cross digging into the flesh that is already open and exposed. Finally making it to Golgotha. Finally making it to the place where they were actually going to put him on a cross and they nailed our Savior to the cross through his hands and his feet. Nailed his our Savior to the cross by his hands and his feet and left him there to die. The way crucifixion happened, most people suffocated to death. Because when your weight's on your arms, you can't get breath. So he would push up through the nails on his feet. Can't imagine the pain of that. Just long enough to catch a breath and then would fall down again. And release that breath. Until he couldn't stand it anymore. And then he would pull himself up again. Take a breath. And he would do that. And they, people would die until ultimately. Would die when ultimately. Fluid had gained in the lungs so long. And so so much so that, that, they, that they died. And sometimes this took up to several days. And it's at that moment. And then mocked again. And at that moment. By the mercy of God, Jesus Christ said, I give up my spirit and the work was done. This was what was done for us. This was done for our atonement. Our reconciliation. To destroy the enmity between us and God. This is the bought and paid for price. Jim Kubik is bought and paid for. You are bought and paid for. Isn't it time that we start acknowledging that? Not as free men, but as freed men. Emancipated from the slavery of sin, but still bound by the word and the commands of God. It's a rhetorical question. Because the answer is absolutely yes, we should. This is what we remember when we remember communion. The blood that was shed for us. The bought and paid for price for us. So we're going to take communion before we finish today, Brother Wendell. And I just want you to take the elements and and. And hold them because I want to talk to you for a moment. Oftentimes, like, like we take what was done for us, the price that was paid for us for granted, we take communion for granted. What are we remembering? Here's a reason I went through the the explanation that I just went through and took the time that I did. So that you could remember properly that Jesus Christ's blood was shed 
that his body was torn. These are represented in the elements of communion. The shed blood of Jesus Christ, the new covenant, and his blood to- or his body torn. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, before he, well, not actually before, but after, I like to do it before. Communion says this, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, and if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen to me. Don't take this cup, don't take this bread jacked up. But instead, check yourself. Because if you take this wrongly, if you take this and have sin in your life, knowing that you have sin in your life, that's the reason many are sick. And many are weak. We're told, Paul is telling us, repent before you take communion. Make sure there's nothing standing between you and God because woe be it for us to align ourselves with the work of Christ and something be standing between us and Christ. And so I don't know where you are today. But I'll tell you, if you haven't given your life to the Lord at all, don't take this communion. You're going to do yourself damage. If you have given your life to the Lord, reflect first. Check yourself first. Ask God to convict you of sin first so that you might take it rightly. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you feel the Spirit dealing with you and you haven't never, you've never given your life to the Lord, I'm going to pray a model prayer. And when I say model prayer, I'm not going to do repeat after me prayer. This is a prayer between you and the Lord. But I'm going to pray a prayer to show you what that looks like. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. You're not the only one. A lot of people be, oh, man, I don't want to tell anybody I'm going to give my life to the Lord because then they think I got, I got sin in my life. Oh, you got sin in your life. But so does everybody else in this room. People be, oh, I got no sin in my life. Well, you're dealing with pride at least. Right? John 3.16 says, what? Anybody? God sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came as the solution to that sin problem. And all we have to do to obtain that solution according to Romans 10.9 is believe, is confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart to God raising from the dead and you shall be saved. But you have to believe it. You can't just say it. Because just to say it without meaning it is to waste your time. And so I'm going to say a prayer of both. A prayer of repentance and a prayer of salvation. As a model prayer for those that need to say it. And the prayer of repentance I'm going to say for myself. Because i got my own stuff to deal with. Believe that or not.
Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us, that your word is so true, that we all have sinned, but you've made a way for us through your Son, Christ Jesus, and your Holy Spirit to overcome that sin. God, if there's any person in this room that doesn't know you but has felt, felt led today to commit their life to you, to make you Lord, I pray this prayer. Father God, forgive me, for I have sinned. God, give me the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk day to day in a way that honors you and glorifies you. I declare Jesus Christ as my Lord from my heart, truly believing that he is. God, I turn away from my sin and I turn towards Jesus. I just ask that you give me the strength to be a little bit better every day. I thank you, God, for that. For those of us that have already committed our life to the Lord, God, we just ask that you dig out of us anything that may be in us. Father God, I, I pray if there's a sin in my life that I'm not aware of or haven't made repentance of already, will you show it to me? Will you knock me down with the weight of it? I don't care about the people in this room. I'm worried about your and my relationship. Embarrass me if you have to, God. But make me right. Show me where I lack. God, when you show it to me, give me the strength to repent. I praise you, Heavenly Father, for who you are. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Paul says, in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, we thank you. We thank you that we have something to remember. Keep us in remembrance of it at all times, not just when we're at church trying to look holy, trying to look spiritual. But God, show us at all times who you are, what you've done for us. Give us a God consciousness so that we might glorify you every moment of every day of our life. God, if church ever becomes something that we do, I pray that you shut us down.